0: near the end of this series about Romans. We're spending our summer in Rome, and Rome, um, I'm sorry, summers are just about over, and so next week is our last sort of look at Romans. You'll recall when we first began this series, we talked about that Paul wrote this to people who lived in quite an oppressive situation. So sometimes we feel as Christians we're put upon in America and that kind of thing. I mean, it's nothing compared to what the folks in Rome, first century, had to deal with. And so he's writing to people who are oppressed because of their faith, and he gives them encouragement. And today we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. We're going to kind of look at the first 12 verses. And what I like about Romans is it's incredibly deep, it's practical, and today we're going to talk about how to maintain your passion to live for God. Because it wanes at times, and God understands that. And Paul, sort of with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knew that. And so he's writing to people who are oppressed to say, look, look, um, don't give up. It's going to be okay. Um, hang in there. Here's some things that might cause you to, to be less passionate. Let's uh, identify those things and let's deal with those things. And so that's kind of what we're going to do today. We're going to look at five things that sort of kill our passion for God. But before we do that, I want to I start with a video. I'm going to show you this in just a second. Um, I know this is football country. That's right, isn't it? Foot, y'all are football people, and I, I get that. But there's a real football, and it's called soccer, and uh, um, they just play with their feet. So it's really football. And in most of the world, that is the big sport. And uh, once every four years, uh, the World Cup happens, and you might hear about that, and and it's super exciting because all over the world, um, every team you know, has an opportunity to play for the World Cup, not like the Super Bowl, which is just America. No, this is huge. It's the biggest thing ever. It's the biggest thing. And then during the four years be- between the last World Cup and the next World Cup, they have other World Cups. There's the American Cup, and, and there's one called the, the European Cup. These are teams, guess where from? You're, that's right, Europe. So all the European teams play. Now, I didn't know this, honestly, until the Europe Cup this year. Iceland is Europe. Did you know that? Oh, well, you're smarter than me. Okay, anyway. Uh, must be good to be you. Anyway, uh, I had no idea that Iceland was Europe. And so Iceland makes it into the European Cup, and I think like, they've never played before. And they win some games, and they beat people like England, who I'm pretty sure is dead, right in the middle of Europe. And uh, and so this was just huge. And they've got this announcer now. His name is Gudmundur, um, Ben Benedictsson. Gudmundur Uh His nickname is Goomy Ben. If you have never seen Goomy Ben announce a goal for Iceland. You're going to right now. And I gotta tell you, it, it is a sight to behold. So let's watch this. Oh tell <laughs> me You know. <laughs> really, once isn't enough. I mean, uh, Vlad and I were talking about this. We could watch this over and over, and every time I watch it, I grin. Now, here's the kind of the, the point. Um, the creative force behind all great art, all great drama, all great music, all great architecture, all great writing, and all great relationships is passion. You, you have to be passionate. And as the famous theologian Rod Stewart one time said, everybody needs some passion, got to have passion. You didn't know he was a theologian, but now you do. Passion is what mobilizes armies to go to war. It's what um, invigorates scientists to find cures. Passion is what uh, takes a good athlete and makes her a great athlete. I mean, it takes passion. And 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 God talks about this in Romans chapter twelve about our passion. And so our big idea for the day is God wants us to live for passion with passion. For him, now it's not just you know passion for anything, but he wants us to direct it at him. And so Jesus was one time asked. He he, he was asked, um, "What's the greatest commandment? What, what what do we need to really look at?" And and Jesus said, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength." Translation is the most important thing in life is to love God with passion. Uh, the message translation of the same verse says, love the Lord your God with your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. And you know when you're around somebody that has a passion for a task. And you know when you're not. I mean, I've got children. I was a kid at one time. I know what it's like to, to say, hey, here's a chore. This is your chore. Go do this thing. My daddy, my chore when I was a kid was tilling the garden. Now, I may have told you this before, but when I was tilling the garden, the garden was as big as this room. I mean, Daddy had free labor, and he was utilizing it. I would till and till and till and till and till. And, I mean, it was, we had a one-acre lot that I push-mowed. I got nothing? Oh. Well, I walked seven miles to school uphill. Okay, all all right, I know you had it bad. Anyway, it was horrible. Now, when I left to go to college and, you know, not I, I wasn't around enough to, to, uh, to till for him anymore, that garden plot shrunk. I mean, it was like as big as, like, the top of this. He had one tomato plant. That was it. I mean, he kind of went way down. But I remember it would be, I'd come home and I'd been playing basketball or something and, and, and Daddy would say, I need you to till the garden. Have you ever seen this walk? This is the walk to the garden. You know, this is the walk to the shore, to the chore. You know that you're not passionate when you got this, you know, the slumped shoulders. You understand that. So you you recognize passion and you recognize not passion. And and God is saying, look, put some muscle into our relationship. I, I love you, you should love me back. Let's let's do this with some with some vigor, you know, with some zest. This is what God is talking about. In fact, the Bible tells us this, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as unto the Lord and not unto men. We, we should have excitement around what we're doing and some passion around it. And so I googled a passion for, you have to watch that by the way, uh, but uh, I, I googled it just to see, you know, um, you, you have to have your filter on at that point. But listen to some of the books that they have been written. There's a passion for birds, a passion for books, a passion for cactus, a passion for chocolate, makes sense, a passion passion for flying, a passion for fishing, a passion for fly fishing, a passion for gardening, golf, hunting, mushrooms, probably the smoking kind, a passion for the past, excellence, success, a passion for fashion, a passion for compassion, a passion for splishing and splashing. A passion for polka. I don't know if that's the music or the dot. I, I, I don't know. But anyway, it appears that you could be passionate for just about anything. So we're sort of, there's this verse. We're going to kind of, we're going to talk about this verse and then we're going to go back. And we're going to ease right back up to it. But Romans 12, 11 says, never be lacking in zeal. Never be lacking in passion. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, let's focus just on the word keep right here just for a second. If you and I were to go hunting or we were to go camping, let's go camping together. You and I were camping. We got ourselves a couple of tents. We're camping. And I've got some mad skills about starting fire because I watch all those survival shows. And you rub two sticks, you rub them long enough, the fire starts. I've seen it done a thousand times on the show. And so I start as a fire because I've got that mad skill. And then I'm going to go do some hunting with just my bare hands. Again, mad skill. I've I've learned watching the shows. Never actually done it, but I know it. How can it be? And so um, we have a campfire. And, and I, I say, hey, I need you to keep the fire going. No. The implication is you've got to do something, right? I mean, keeping the fire going means you add fuel. You, you put sticks on there. You, you poke it around a little bit if it starts getting you know, down. And This is the word that he uses here. Keep. There's a fire. When we, uh, when we uh, in, enter a relationship with God, when we ask Christ to forgive our sins and take over our lives, there's a relationship. We just have to keep it kindled. Just like a relationship with with my wife, there there's we we have to keep the fire stoked, and so there are things you do to stoke the fire, and and so I think God says this because He understands it's easy to get distracted. Um, distractions can come in like a million different forms. It could be school, it, it could be you know maybe you're in a bad relationship, M- maybe it's work, maybe it's home. Maybe it's your kids. There's a lot of ways to get distracted. Um, But he's saying, hey, keep the passion. Now, just a side note here. This isn't about how old you are or if you're an introvert or an extrovert. This is like all of us have this this, uh, tendency to lose passion. I'll give you an illustration. If you've ever been to a birthday party, maybe you've thrown a birthday party, and you have helium balloons not the ones that are silvery, but, you know, kind of the regular helium balloons. And let's say we had a party in here, and that flo- floats to the ceiling. And, and the fir- your first thing is, how are going to get that down? And you might have a you know, cousin Cletus who says, I'll shoot it. Uh, but, uh, by the way, is it okay to say cousin Cletus in South Carolina? I mean, you might actually have a cousin Cletus, and I don't want to offend anybody. In Michigan, it was easy to use Cletus as a, uh, you know, nobody has a cousin. But it, if you do... And I've offended you. I apologize. Come to me after the service and tell me. And I'll change it to something else. Um, I, I don't know what. But I'll come up with a good southern name. Anyway, Cousin Cletus volunteers to shoot it down. Now, you know as well as I do that if you leave that balloon up there, in two days when we come back it's going to be down. Because it loses its heliumness. right? It, it kind of loses it. And unless we're stoking our passion for God, we sort of lose it. And so, this whole chapter, chapter 12, at least the first part, Paul is saying, look, here are some things that can get you off track in your passion for God. Let's, let's chat about those and let's see if we can avoid those. So, if you have your outline, it was on your program when you came in, let's talk about these five passion killers. The first one is an unbalanced schedule. Now look at verse 1. Let's just stop at verse 1 here. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Verse 1 is basically saying, be passionate in your relationship to God. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy give yourself to God. And then he sort of starts on this stuff that can get you off track. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Now, I've titled this an unbalanced schedule because it seems to me that the pattern of this world is kind of one of two things. We either get hyper-focused on work and we work, 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 or we're lazy and we don't work, 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 and both things are whack, honestly. I mean, you can work, 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 and you lose your passion for God because you're too obsessed with that, or you can be obsessed with like being entertained and you can lose your passion for God with that. There's a rhythm to life. It talks about, the Bible talks about it all the time. In 127th Psalm says, It is senseless for you to work so hard from early morning to late at night, fearing you will starve to death, for God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. That means your Sunday afternoon nap is awesome, and you should take it. I don't know a lot about engines. When when I was growing up, I I would help my dad, you know, work on cars and that kind of thing. And by help him, what I mean is he would say, hand me that wrench and I would hand it to him. I'd watch him, but I didn't know what he was doing. But I do know enough to know this. When my engine revs at too many RPMs for too long, when you look at your gauges on your car and the RPMs gets over in the red, you don't want to be there very long. Because if it's there very long, it's not good. And if you're you have a, a, a gauge for how hot your car is and if it gets past the halfway and it starts to edge it up toward the red line. You can't do that long. I had a daughter who seized up an engine because she ran it without oil. That's not good. Engines cost lots of money. We got to buy a new car because it was <laughs> cheaper than fixing an engine. You can rev it too high. You can rev your life too high for too long and it messes you up and it distracts you from keeping a passion for God. The other side of that is you just don't do anything. You're always a taker and never a giver. And that's not good either. I mean, around here, what I love about this area are the lakes. The lakes are amazing. But have you seen ponds that have kind of a scummy film on top of them? You have those they're not nice. I would swim in a lake. I'm not swimming in a scummy pond. Well, the pond is basically taking in and not giving out. Lakes kind of kind of comes and goes. It's kind of how it works. And so the Bible is telling us here, hey, your schedule has to have a rhythm to it. You have to work, yes, but you also have to rest. And, and that's why, you know, one of the uh, Ten Commandments is, remember, have a Sabbath day. Have a time of rest. can't always be working. There has to be some time to rest. And in that resting time, we focus on God, we think about God. Even every day we do this. So an unbalanced life. James says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them even in ministry even even in life if i'm always taking in biblical information but i'm never using it it's it's a wasted life biblical knowledge is great as long as it leads you to do something biblical knowledge isn't that great if it just sort of stays with you so the answer to the to what to do is just have a balanced life and balance would include a time of worship and a time of fellowship and a time to learn discipleship, small groups and that sort of thing. A time in God's word, a time of prayer. And so number one, we have to make sure our life has some rhythm to it, some balance. The second thing is this, an unexamined life. This, one, this is a great verse, by the way. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself, you might want to underline this, with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed each of you. I like that little expression, so, sober judgment. You, you look at yourself really, like you take a real assessment of who you are. Because here's our tendency, and he talks about this. Uh, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Sometimes, look, I can always find somebody doing worse than me always because there's a lot of people doing worse than us and so I can find some schlub out there and I can feel good about myself because I'm doing better than he is on the other hand if I have a tendency to feel bad about myself I can always find somebody doing better than me in my same field more fit you know better kids more beautiful wife, you know. I, I, can, I can find somebody like that. And, and they've got the bumper sticker, you know, my kid's an honor student, and your car has the, my kid can beat up your honor student. I mean, you got, you know, that kind of thing going on. There's always this comparison thing, it, it, it brings us down. And so the unexamined life is is not where we want to be. He, he says, hey, um, think of yourself with sober Judgment, sober judgment. Um, we were created in God's image just to be the way we are. And the uh, yeah, other people, maybe that I would consider better, there are people I consider worse. That's really not important. Am I living up to the potential God gave, gave me? Let me ask you a question. Um, you probably have a morning routine. You get up in the morning. You know, some people, you know, first thing they do is go get a cup of coffee. Some people first thing they do is you know jump in the shower. Some people first thing they do is brush their teeth. You know or whatever. Um, but somewhere in the process there is a a moment of reckoning. It's when you look in the mirror. Have have you seen yourself in a mirror in the morning when you got goop in your eyes, you know, and you got breath that would peel wallpaper? I mean, have you ever had that experience and your hairs cray and I mean you just it's just now I decided that looking in the mirror was not beneficial to me so I just chose for a couple of weeks not to look in the mirror now what happens when you don't look in the mirror and you just leave the house it's not good it's not pretty some of you tried it today uh and so uh, uh not good it's really not good. I'm just teasing. I'm telling you, all look great. I'm just teasing you. Now, we look in the mirror not particularly because we like what we see, but because we want to fix what's messed up. We, we don't, we don't, I don't get out of bed in the morning and run to look through the mirror. I, it's not my first thing. It's not something I am excited to do because it's not going to be pretty. It's never pretty. But I get there and I can adjust, you know, I can put some stuff on my head or or I can wipe the goop out of my eyes or I can brush my teeth or I can use some mouth. Mal- I can do some things. If I don't take an assessment of where I am, I can't fix the stuff that's broke. I can't fix the broken stuff if I am that messed up. And so I have, to take, I have to take an assessment of where I am. Mirrors, here's the thing about a mirror. The better it is, the more flaws you see. And this is talking about, hey, I need to look, I need to examine where I am, and I need to fix the things that are broken. That's why we take communion, by the way. Part of communion is self-examination. You take the time to examine yourself before you take communion. The Bible tells us, hey, don't take it in an unworthy manner. You have to take it in a worthy manner. So occasionally what we have to do is unplug, get get away from the television, put down your phone. Uh, We have a a back porch, and our back porch kind of overlooks trees. And and in the morning, uh, it's a great time to read my Bible with a cup of coffee, with goop in my eyes still, because I haven't looked, at the, uh, hadn't looked in the mirror yet. But I, I'll go out there. And for me, that's kind of a time to self-assess. Hey, what have I got going on today? Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? That kind of thing. The examined life is important. Shakespeare said it this way. To thine own self, be true. Be true to yourself. I'm a big Billy Shakespeare fan, and that's why I know that. To thine own self, be true. Thirdly, thirdly, third passion killer is a disconnected life. A disconnected life. Look at what it says in verses 4 and 5. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Now Paul uses the body analogy in three or four different places. He likes this analogy because he understands how things have to work together. My arms and my legs and my brain tells my arms and my legs what to do and that sort of thing. He likes this analogy. He uses this analogy often. When we're young, we probably don't always understand how, I mean, how we can do stuff. Jacob, Wednesday night, Jacob, stand up, stand up. In fact, come up here. Jacob's 27 feet tall, okay? Uh, how tall are you? 6'3", uh, three. 3 Okay. You weigh what? Seven pounds? How much do you weigh? Like 135. 135. Okay. Now, Jacob, out in the, in the foyer, we had some signs, and they're attached to the ceiling. And Jacob took the task of unattaching them. It was great. I was kind of watching. Nobody asked him to do it. If I'm attaching or unattaching those signs, I get a ladder, and I go up it slowly. And I'm holding on and unattaching like this because I don't want to fall. Jacob took a stool that was what? This tall? This tall. <laughs> Jacob stepped onto the stool and stood up and took the thing down. And then you stepped off the stool like a giraffe. I mean, it was it was amazing. Did you know I was watching you? It was so cool. Did you notice I didn't offer to help? I mean, really, it was so cool what you did. Um. Now, I can't do that. You can go sit down. Thank you for being a good sport. Yeah. um, I can't do that stuff. Holy Pete, there's no way I could do that. So when you're young, you know, life, you got the cat by the tail. When you get older, you know you need help. You need help. By the way, I got to read you some of these song titles. Um, I found these song titles for people who are older. These These are great. Bobby Darin used to sing that song, Splish Splash. Uh, they've rewritten it. Splish splash. I was having a flash. Uh, I like that one. Ringo Starr. I get help with a little. Help. I get by with a little help from Depends. Uh That was a good one. Paul Simon. Fifty ways to lose your liver. Uh, that's a good one. Leo Sayer. You make me feel like napping. Uh, <laughs> uh, temptations. Papa got a kidney stone. That, that's a good one. Helen Reddy. I am woman. Hear me snore. <laughs> And Willie Nelson uh, rewrote uh, On the Throne again. Uh, so, um, <laughs> bottom line is, we need each other to work properly. I mean, we, that's why he uses the analogy of the body, because the body parts need each other. And this is why you, we're, we're entering a season where we're signing up for small groups, and they begin in a couple of weeks. In a couple of weeks, we're going we're to do a series on the soul. And it is a really powerful series. It's a series I've done before. In fact, I've done it twice. It it is so good not to... I I have to share it with you because it's just really good stuff. And when we start to self-examine our souls and take care of our souls, sometimes we just sort of think we're a body. We're we're more than that. We're we're deeper than that. And so we're going to start that. If you've not signed up for a small group, I would encourage you to because we're going to do the sermons on Sunday and then the small groups during the week, we're going to ask questions around that message. And so... You're going to hear it kind of twice during the week. But it's really important. And And I want to encourage you if you've not signed up yet to do that. But that's that's why small groups are important. We need each other. And even, I've been here about five months as your pastor. In, in the five months I've been here, I've seen small groups um, respond to needs of people. But it's not just when we're, we're sad. I mean, the Bible tells us that we rejoice with those who rejoice. And we mourn with those who mourn. And that's part of being in a small group, being a part of something bigger than yourself. In prison, the worst punishment you can have is to be in solitary confinement because you don't have any interaction with anybody else. I, I, I saw an interview recently. There was a lady who was on that show Survivor. I don't even think that. Is that on anymore? It's still on? Okay. Well, she was on the show Survivor, and they tell you you can bring five or six things, and she wanted to bring her Bible. And the producer said, no, you can't bring your Bible because... That's already been done. And so she got on the show. She's a Christian lady. But she talked about how she just sort of, there were no other Christians there. And she didn't have her Bible to lean into. And she, she talked about how her attitude changed. And how her words, how she would say things that she would have never imagined that she would say. And then her quote at the end was, I didn't realize how weak I really was. We, we need each other. Part of why we come together every week uh, to worship is because we need each other. We, we need to learn from each other and encourage each other and lift each other up and celebrate with each other. Life that's unshared is just sort of like it's motion without any uh, without any product. Motion without production. And we need each other. And the only reason I've grown spiritually is because I've Leaned into friends who've helped me grow spiritually. Small groups. A fourth thing that kills our passion is unused talent. Look at this. It's a longer verse, but look at this one. Uh, Romans 12, 6 and 8, 6 through 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, that could, that's preaching. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. If it is serving, serve. If it's teaching, teach. If it's encouraging, then encourage. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Um, God gives us abilities and talents, not just for our own use. And here's a truth that we have to understand. If we don't use our talents, we're going to lose our passion. God gives us these talents Did you know that 70% of Americans say they're stuck in a job where they don't get to utilize their talents and they're not passionate about it? 70% of Americans. No wonder that that song, Take This Job and Shove It, was so popular because 70% of the people out there believe that, have that feeling in their life. Your life is more than your job, but you have to find something that you're passionate about. And the things he talked about there, they were all ministry deals they're all about ministry how can i be how can i serve or how can i have mercy or how can i be an encourager and that was just a partial list but part of what we do is we find a place to serve Uh, marina and i were talking earlier about her work with meals on wheels it doesn't have to be at church where you serve you can serve anywhere but find a place to use your god-given talents to serve others In children's ministry is a a great, great area where we can serve others. and, And, you know, think about the impact you can have on children. I hope that in the fall or maybe the spring as we continue to grow that we will get to go to two services. And when we do that, I just want to put a bug in your ear if we go to two services. The cool thing about two services is you can serve one and you can attend one. And and you can do both things in one day. Right now, the people who are serving back here don't get to be in here. And hopefully soon we're going to be to a size, and it shouldn't be too long, where we can serve one and attend one. And, and we can serve maybe uh, in uh, hospitality, those kinds of things. Just kind of want to put it out there that that is on the way. One more, one more, one more passion killer. Unresolved conflict. Look at this verse. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not pay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It's kind of important, that last part. Because sometimes you're in conflict with somebody who just won't let it go. They just won't. They choose not to live at peace with you. And so therefore, it's hard for you to live at peace with them. And so you make every effort as far as it depends on you. Have you ever had a day where, man, you got up and you were ready to go? Or you might remember a day like that. And uh, you got up and, man, you were singing a song and you were excited about the day. And then all of a sudden... You get down to the breakfast table and there's a little bit of a conflict with your spouse or with your kids and all of a sudden the zippity goes right out of your do-die and, and you, were, you were happy until that point and then the conflict just sort of just sucks the life out of you. Well, this is saying, hey, don't let that happen. The three emotions that kill our passion in the midst of conflict are resentment, jealousy, prolonged anger. Resentment, jealousy, Prolonged anger. And so you have to learn to forgive people. Now, I have no idea what I'm asking of you as far as you might have a burden none of us know about. And you're probably saying to yourself or to me, um, you, you, you don't know what you're asking for me to forgive. You're, you're asking me to let them off the hook. And I'm really not asking you to let them off the hook. I'm just asking you to put them on God's hook. You let God handle it. Um, the Bible talks about vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And, and it, it could be, again, I don't have any idea. It might be one of the most horrendous things that ever happened. And in your life, it, it's draining you. It's draining your passion. And you learn to forgive that. And you hand it over to God and you forgive them. And you let God take care of the rest. Because honestly, the starting point is letting God take care of the rest. This is such a cool verse. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Paul wrote this to people who were constantly persecuted for their faith. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and they knew what affliction was. Be faithful in prayer. The starting point in remaining passionate about God is to remember how He feels about you. We're going to end with one more verse. This is one of the coolest verses in Romans. Romans 5.8 God demonstrated His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The way you maintain your passion is to remember this verse. God loved me so much that He sent His only Son that I might have a relationship with Him. That is how passionate His love is for us. And these other things distract us and they get us off track. Uh, Unbalanced life, uh, um, uh, uh, conflict, uh, unresolved conflict. The things that we've talked about today. Uh, and uh, When we don't analyze our schedule and that sort of thing. However, when we remember all that God has done for us, it kind of centers us back uh, toward passion in our lives. We're going to take up an offering in just a second. Let me pray, and then we're going to take up an offering. Let me tell you how this is going to go down. By the way, after the service is over, I'm going to hang out over here. If you want to come, you need somebody to pray with you or talk to, I'm going to be right there. But the offering is like this. We're going to take it up. We do it every week because it's an act of worship. My ushers are going to come forward. They have little buckets. they are going to pass them down the aisles. If you're a guest, please don't feel like this is for you. You're welcome to give if you want to. It's certainly not an expectation that we have. But we do this because it's an act of obedience it's an act of trust, it's an act of thanksgiving. So we're going to take that opportunity right now. At the end of service, Vlad is going to come up and close, uh, close us out. And again, I want to remind you, this is the time that if you wrote on your card, this is the small group I want to be in, you want to turn that in, you want to put that in the bucket, okay? So let me pray for our offering time and for our teaching today. And I, I'm going to ask that God sort of help it to penetrate our lives and our hearts this week. Lord, we're thankful for all you do for us. We're thankful for how you give to us how you've created us in a way that we need each other. And I pray that we would be attentive to your voice this week as we reflect on the things that we've heard today. We love you. We want to be obedient to you. We ask that you bless this offering that we're about to take. May it it serve the purposes that you want it to serve. We love you and we thank you for giving to us and we thank you for the opportunity to give back. Help us to do it joyfully, generously, and with a good spirit.